This is Questions of Courage, a podcast from the youth section at the Goetheanum, hosted by Nathaniel Williams. Welcome to Questions of Courage. Today I'd like to talk about peace again. It's difficult to speak about peace, particularly when there are such extreme conflicts and there's such extreme violence taking place. And when you're in the conflict, it can be very difficult to have the courage. And when you're outside of it, it can also be difficult. And um, we have in the situation many people are following every day right now, civilian hostages, terror. We have also untold suffering of children who are in an active war zone right now every day um, with nowhere to seek refuge and the most modern um, and also brutal equipment being used in the Middle East. And I don't want to speak about that conflict in any detail. It's complex history where it in particular might find some kind of resolution or about the conflict in Ukraine and Russia. So many people of goodwill around the world are praying every day that there will be a cessation of hostilities and a beginning of peace talks and negotiations. But we have a much bigger challenge in front of us in the long run because underneath the surface, the potential for violence and war is present in many places of the world. And we have to be able to not only have cessation of violence and truces, but we have to try to work towards more resilience resilient visions and realities of interconnection and peace in the future like no other time in history. And today I'd like to briefly speak about a few things that are relevant for everyone in the world and connected to this. They have to do with the global economy. There's perhaps no other part of our life where we are so interconnected today as through the economy. All over the world, uh, countless different individuals and groups and businesses and corporations are working together to provide services and to produce goods and to dispose of waste, connected to really the most basic reality of being a human being on the earth today. And I'd like to speak about the global economy as a bearer of a often unnoticed and unrecognized peace potential. In the United States where I'm from, we speak a lot about liberty and equality, but we do not speak and we are inarticulate in the virtue of fraternity. I'd like to characterize fraternity very briefly. Fraternity as a social virtue is a kind of virtue that we experience when we can see that our efforts, what we do, goes to benefit other people. We provide services for other people or we give them something that they need through our efforts and our labor, that we are helping others. And in turn, what we need, what we have to have in order to flourish and survive is given to us by other people. Awareness of this and the reality of this is a kind of fraternity or mutuality and interdependence. 
It has a particular quality and it differs from equality and liberty. And it's something that we have so much to learn about and which the peace of the future is so dependent on. There's something else related to this fraternity, which in a way is unconsciously spread out through the whole world in the global economy. And that is that it's not necessarily primarily concerned with what your ethnicity is or your religious beliefs, whether you're a man or a woman. It's not primarily concerned with that. It's primarily concerned actually with a much more general humanitarian orientation of meeting the basic material needs and spiritual needs of one another on a daily basis. This is an economic aspect of our social life. What can it contribute for peace? In the United States right now, um, we need to learn about speaking about the social virtue. I would like to suggest we have um, a real dilemma here. Recently, in the last decades, researchers have found that more and more deaths are happening, are unfolding in the United States because of extreme depression, um, because of lack of basic health, because of addiction and self-destruction, and because of suicide than before in history. So much so that they've received a new name, the diseases of despair. And at least one important part of this public health discussion is a discussion around economics, around how we can experience our job as meaningful service and benefiting other people, and also how we can experience that our needs are indeed met by the community. So many people have fallen out of this experience in the United States, working for wages that they can't live on, working jobs that they experience are not respected and have no meaning. This is just one example, but it's an example that points towards a huge amount of suffering and it also points towards a kind of misrecognition of one of the most important tasks of economic thought. You may think it's naive to talk about economics like this if you're listening. Many people do today and consider the most important value of economics competition. And I'm not going to speak about that much today. But I did create an episode referring to Michael Sandel's work and some other summaries of social scientific research from the last 20 years, which I can encourage you to look at. But I would like to now frame a challenge. Fraternity, to speak about fraternity, to be able to create and recognize and cultivate this virtue of fraternity through the way we do economics, through the way we create our businesses and our marketplaces. This is a peace task for the whole world. We see people in danger of falling out of this network, not only through examples like I've just mentioned in the United States, but also through forced migration. Forced migration is already a terrible um, social reality all around the world. On the southern border in the United States, we see it. We also see it around the Mediterranean in Europe. 
We find people who are living in situations where they can't actually take up a role in this great global undertaking of economic interdependence and cooperation. This is a challenge for peace. This is something I want to suggest we need to face in the interest of peace. This is a challenge then also to young people who are studying political science, who are studying economics, who might be listening, to think in this direction. The direction and the connection between freedom of movement, forced migration because of climate change, ecological catastrophe, violence, or political persecution, and being able to participate in this peace potential of a cooperative or mutualistic global economic orientation. Some decades ago, there was a very big push, or just one decade ago, for divestment. Students led it. They wanted to see that their colleges, their institutions of higher learning, took their endowments out of fossil fuel investments. This is the beginning of a conversation that has to be much, much more developed because we can't only ask for kind of precise divestments. We need robust, transparent investment. A friend and colleague of mine once said, it's important that we all know where our money sleeps at night. And we, those of us who do not have much money, who might have small balances in bank accounts, might not think this is such a big deal for us and other people need to take responsibility for it. But if you have an insurance policy or if you have a pension fund, you're also connected to a organization which has large pools of capital that are being invested. And we can ask ourselves, what is that money doing? What kind of a future, a future of peace, a future of conflict is that money creating? I would like to celebrate the fact that I can mention right now that there are banks that have created exemplary practices that move not only from divestment, but to investment. GLS Bank, Triodos Bank, and there's a small bank near here where I live in Switzerland called the Freie Gemeinschaftsbank, where investments are transparent, where the community the conscience of people in the community and civil society are aware of where the capital that they are stewarding together and also using as loan money is working to create the future. This is something all around the world that we could work on, anyone can work on, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their religion. This is something that interests us all. We don't only need to move from divestment to investment when we have an interest in a robust peace around the world. We need to move from a, a looking at capital, looking at businesses and enterprises as commodities that can be bought and sold to looking at them as social assets. For a long time in the United States, there have been investors that will come into a community and they will purchase a business, a business that is a site where people go to work every day 
and they can be proud that they're able to provide services and do something meaningful for other people all day long and that they receive a paycheck that can take care of their own needs and their family's needs so that they can provide this service. This is a reality still, of course, in businesses all around the world. There are investors, however, that will look for businesses where this might be the case and see if they can be bought, stripped of their resources, loaded up with debt, and then resold or declared bankrupt in order to make a financial profit for themselves. I don't want to speak about the justification for that kind of action. There's an old stubborn dogma, which is an illusion, which is unleashing and has unleashed untold suffering, that if we all act in our own self-interest, eventually we will achieve the greatest possible wealth for the world. I'm not going to speak to that, but instead I'd like to indicate that this is a challenge here of how we can take companies, how we can take social assets or businesses that actually aren't the private property of one person, but instead are a kind of institution or a kind of um, set of buildings and also a role in a certain area or community that has a social significance and not think about them as viable and sellable commodities. I'm also happy today that I can talk about the decommodification of businesses that is being worked on by people like Armin Storinagel and Purpose, his consulting work. This is another area, if we can imagine that our businesses and our capital investment, the structure, the equipment, that it not be looked at something that can be bought or sold, but instead something that can be stewarded by people who are able to make social use out of it for the community that they live in. I'd also like to mention monetary design and how we think about money. In my last episode, I talked about the Himgauer. This was a project that was started 20 years ago by a group of high school students and their economics teacher, which went on to get the attention of economists all over the world. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to listen to it, but also to look up the Himgauer. Today, many people, when they speak about monetary design and money, they're primarily concerned with the values of privacy, of liberty, of decentralized bookkeeping that cryptocurrency, for instance, um, might offer. But we can also think about the challenge, the social challenge of creating monetary designs where we actually can become aware of the field of mutuality and interconnection, which is the characteristic feature of fraternity and economics. In the United States, um, political theory often is traced back to the Politeia, the Republic, the work of Plato and Aristotle, and for good reason, hugely influential thinkers whose very language and concepts um, have greatly influenced um, geopolitics, constitutional design over the last 2,000 years and to this day. But we have to recognize that a lot of the geopolitics and the foreign policy decisions that come from the United States are largely inspired by a kind of political thinking which can't take account 
of the peace potential of the global economy, which has largely become autonomous in its connection to the nation state. And we have the modern state of the United States and we have political theorists who inspire neoconservatives or neoliberal thinkers in certain ways of thinking about economics, which are anachronistic, that belong to a different time, to a different age. And this is a call to young people who are working on political theory, who are working on political science, to try to develop an understanding of how archaic some of the thinking that's coming from great statesmen, in some cases from the West, particularly because of this flaw, and to try to help our political culture to move forward, to recognize the peace potential of a kind of mutualistic and cooperative orientation that spans the whole world in economic thought. Lastly, I'd like to just touch on philanthropy. It's connected to the conversation around divestment and investment. And philanthropy, we celebrate in the United States, and I know it's different from country to country depending on where you're listening from today, but in the United States, we celebrate people who give away money, call them greatly generous, for good reason. Of course, many people are aware of Bill Gates Foundation, other foundations of um, very wealthy uh, entrepreneurs, um, also in the history of the United States, such as Carnegie, Carnegie Hall in New York City. But when we scratch under the surface of our philanthropic culture, particularly when it comes to large sums of money, there's a very different reality that we meet. And I've already touched on this when I talked about the endowments that fund many universities. While we celebrate one another for giving away money through making donations and supporting civil society causes to try to create the future that we want, 95%, roughly, a friend told me who works in this field of philanthropic funds are invested in ways that go in very, very questionable directions. Just like the endowments of universities that the students were protesting so much 10 years ago. We have to think about how to work with philanthropy in such a way that we're not hypocrites, that we don't celebrate giving away interest money that we get from a huge amount of money that is doing damage and sowing discord and conflict for the future. We have to work on a thinking about philanthropy which is truly holistic and social and which sees the ramifications around the world. We have to redeem our philanthropy. Today I just wanted to offer some particular impressions of things that will become more and more important in the future as we look forward these are not suggested as any kind of comprehensive peace plan, but they're elements of a kind of dimension of our social life that we are all able to actually work on, no matter where we are around the world. And as we every day live with what is happening and the suffering that is currently unfolding in places of conflict, such as Ukraine and Russia, Palestine, 
and Israel. We have to also think about a future and creating a resilient imaginations of interdependence and peace. And in that spirit, I just offer these brief impressions. Questions of Courage is a project of the youth section, and it's a collaboration with the Goethe Anam communications team. The Goethe Anam is not supported by tax money. It is not supported by um, a single wealthy donor or um, an endowment. It is supported by countless gifts of people from all around the world and also programs that are run at the Goethe Anam. And I'd like to invite you to consider making a contribution um, to support this work, but primarily to support youth work, in, in my case. Any contribution that you make will go towards youth work. Working on questions like this, but also with young people who are interested in working on spirituality and particularly anthroposophy.